Welcome back to the United Pubcast. It's Larry, your host today. And with me, I've got Eric Ten Hag himself. He's taken time off out, out of his busy schedule. He's decided he's friends with Cristiano Ronaldo. Actually, he's not. He decided he wasn't, he wasn't actually going to wear a Portuguese jersey today. But the reason he has is because he realized it was a Bruno Fernandes goal, not a Cristiano Ronaldo goal. So Ten Hag is very much behind Portugal. Uh, but uh, Eric, how are you today? Yeah, very well. The amount of shit I have got for this shirt in terms of, like, it was all Bruno Fernandes before this World Cup. I thought, okay, it's going to be a big tournament. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But the amount of hate I've got for wearing this shirt, um, look, I, I quite enjoy it, but I'm a little bit saddening. What's that? Because um, Ronaldo wears it. There's obviously public enemy number one. But I, obviously, I'm a big fan of Bruno Fernandes and obviously Diago de Lose at the World Cup as well. Um, but obviously, you can't wear a Portugal shirt. What the hell are you drinking out of? Look at the size of this bottle. <laughs> Two liters of love, baby. Tom, oh, I'm great. hosting tonight. I've got to make sure the vocal cords are well hydrated. We'll take your time. As Larry takes his second sip of the show, um, it is very sort of good to get back on and had a bit of a weekend away, but football is back. In terms of not Manchester United, Manchester United return next week in regards to some fixtures over in Spain. But um, the World Cup has thrown up a few, I wouldn't say surprises, but thrown up some exciting football at times. But um, out with the old, sort of in regards to the World Cup, we're going to discuss a little bit of Manchester United for a change. We, we are. But uh, look, it, I would be remiss not to discuss these, these morning, this morning's results. Uh, I mean, it, does, it is relevant to Manchester United. And obviously, we are about to rip in to a hell of a debate. We have done a lot of preparation, Tom, a lot of preparation that we don't normally do, I think is fair to be said. Uh, but we, are, we have prepared for this. We are going to give you a deep analysis into why Manchester United are worth more than Liverpool FC. But before we get there, Tom, can we start with Brazil? Uh, Casemiro, how good is Casemiro? I have to ask you that because I think he is criminally underrated. And a lot of that has to do with playing with Tony Cruz and Luka Modric, who have, you could say rightfully so, received a large chunk of the plaudits. But man, this guy has stepped out of the shadows and into the spotlight. I made a point with a guy I work with earlier today in terms of it reminds me very much of Robin Van Persie. When Robin Van Persie would ask, was it Arsenal? I thought, okay, yeah, he's a very good player, good striker, but thought not, nothing more of it. Okay, if he comes to United, that's good. But I'm not going to sort of lose any sleep if he doesn't. A good player, he does it at Arsenal. When he arrived at, when he arrived at Manchester United, I soon realised what a fantastic player he was. And Arsene Wenger made the same point as Felix Ferguson. He said, you don't realise how good this guy is until you work with him. Now, Casemiro at Real Madrid and Brazil is obviously new. He's a good player. Obviously, even the best defensive midfielder in the world. I thought, he, yep, fair play. Good career, top player. Welcome to Manchester United. But now watching him closely and sort of seeing all the bows he has to his game, he's underrated. Like, you talk about the best defensive midfielder in the world. I'd go a step further and say, is he up there with the best midfielder in the world? Like, in terms of he has everything to his game. Okay, he's not the creative number 10. He doesn't have that aspect to his game. But in terms of an all-round midfielder, it's hard to sort of find anyone who has more than him to his game. Yeah, I agree. Um, th that's probably the only, cr not even a criticism. I, I think it's the only deficiency in his game. He probably doesn't have that between the lines ball that you'd probably associate with, uh, say, a Michael Carrick. Uh, is would that be a fair comparison? But then I would, I would counter that with. I think Casemiro is more defensively sound than Carrick was. I think. Oh, yeah, he, different type of players. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
Well, let me ask you this, and it is going a little bit off topic, but if you have both players in their prime, Casemiro or Michael Carrick, what kind of number six would you ideally go for? Oh, look, look, it's hard in terms of if you're way up, sort of you just mentioned the names and the personnel. Look, Michael Carrick won it all with Manchester. You know, if you look at what Casemiro's done, he's won it all and even more at Real Madrid. So it's hard to sort of weigh up in regards to, okay, which one would you take? On paper, sadly, because I love Michael Carrick, the answer is probably Casemiro. But in regards to the style of player I like, look, I like Casemiro. I think Michael Carrick was a beautiful player and the option for me would be Michael Carrick. That's not to say Casemiro is not better than him. That's just in terms of the way I view the game. I, I like that style of player. But um, you could potentially sort of add a little bit more to Casemiro's game and push him further on and play the two together. And, um, yeah, look, it's a good problem to have. And, look, ultimately, which we'll touch on in sort of further episodes throughout the week, next two weeks, there's a very good chance Casemiro is going to lead this Brazil team to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And, look, we'll, we'll obviously get into that as the weeks go on. But as you said, Tom, we are here to discuss Manchester United and Liverpool so we will get into that. But before we do, Chris, uh, there is going to be a lot of change um, at Old Trafford and at Enfield, it's fair to say. But looking at Chris's comments here, hello, lads. Larry and Tom have swapped sides. I'm not sure if I can adjust to this massive change. Well, uh, I'm really sorry to put such pressure on you, Chris, but uh, I think you'll be fine, mate. So if you haven't noticed, Chris, what you, what you will notice, and for anyone who's new here, Whoever's hosting will be on the left. It's for some reason, it's the one OCD thing me and Tom agree on. Uh, but for whatever reason, so that's why I'm on the left today. So uh, please bear with me uh, as someone, uh, probably Ronaldo in one of his Lamborghinis, speeds past my street. But uh, Tom, let's not waste any time. The purpose of this video is to go in depth. Obviously, Liverpool and Manchester United are both up for sale. There's only a small portion of people in the world that you could argue could afford Manchester United and Liverpool. And I've got my good mate, Tom, here to help me dissect it all. Uh, but so, Tom, that we've broken this up into a few aspects. Um, so I will sort of pick your pick your mind and get your opinion. Because the, the, the when, we, when we talk about football clubs, it's not as simple as who's the most successful on the football pitch, who plays the most beautiful brand of football. It, there's so much more to it than that. And it's the aspect of football that, I guess as fans, we've been upset about discussing the things we criticize the Blazers for, the commercial aspect of the game. But let's not waste any more time. I'm going to start with social media uh, because this also talks to the size of football of football teams. And we start with comparing Liverpool and Manchester United in those respective metrics. So, Tom, take me through these numbers. Well, they're big numbers. In regards to what we just passed 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we're looking at Manchester United and Liverpool in the millions. And look, in terms of if you to weigh those up and sort of have a contest between the two, obviously you do see Man United sort of do sort of not even shade Liverpool in terms of numbers, um, sort of trump them like quite handsomely. There is almost no comparison, and it'll be interesting to see we sort of class Liverpool as the second biggest club in England. It'll be interesting to see what the situation at Arsenal is or Chelsea, Manchester City, what those numbers compare like. We've just done the two clubs here in regards to they're the two that we say are the biggest clubs in the in England. So in terms of it, the Facebook ones are surprising. In terms of everything else, you think quite potentially similar, but Facebook, 75 million to 40 million is, um, I don't know. But then again, uh, to an owner, this might seem sort of valuable information, but in regards to what's a follower on Facebook and what's a sort of follower on Instagram, are they a fan or is it just a set of eyes that can sort of sort of appeal to an owner or appeal to a sponsorship or a commercial partner? 
Yeah, it is an interesting one. The other one that I look at here that's quite interesting, uh, Instagram, again, massive golf. Um, can I be honest? Who uses Facebook anymore? Do you scroll through your news, your Facebook news feed? It's just one of those things. It's Facebook- I, I think that's potentially what what skews the Facebook stat Like in terms of yeah. I think every single person in this world has a Facebook account, whether you're active or not, uh, and in terms of you click like on Manchester United. So they, I think that does skew it in terms of I think when did Facebook come around? Was it 2006, 2007? Uh, I think the amount of people uh, over the years then in terms of who have interacted with the Man United page, that's potentially why. Um, that figure is so sort of potentially, in my opinion, a little bit skewed. But Instagram, you would argue, is the most used social media platform there is in the world at the moment. And uh, again, massive golf there, 20 million or more, um, well, just under, I should say, but tw- 20 million um, in Instagram followers. YouTube also, quite interestingly, it, it is worth adding, Manchester United's YouTube channel, I think was only created about a year or so ago. Uh, very yeah, uh, well, that's the one. Liverpool have a bit of a jump, but yeah, I do remember Man United were very late to the party in regards to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but look, social media is an aspect, and uh, let's also remind the people when Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Manchester United, when United released that tweet, the most interacted tweet in Twitter's history, um, and these are the things that do matter uh, when we, whether you want to criticize the Glazers for the commercial focus on the football club. It shouldn't be the primary focus, but when you look at what makes Manchester United the machine, it is. The commercial aspect and social media plays a major part of that. Yeah, no, 100%. It's hard to argue. Like I see Chris puts a um, question up here in regards to TikTok and Snapchat. Look, I understand they're fully sort of probably bigger than those platforms. Who knows? I'm not sure the situation around those two. Again, like Chris, I'm not on those platforms, but... I find it hard in terms of it is such valuable information and sort of right to go through in regards to sort of weighing up the sort of evaluation of the club and sort of the size of the club. They do sort of provide sort of a fair bit of insight. But again, I don't know what it means in terms of an ownership sort of or an owner looking at Manchester United. Are they looking at 75 million sets of eyes or are they can they scale that back and see what is a Manchester United fan? And of that 75 million, how many people can buy their product in regards to tickets, shirts, merchandise and all that? And that's maybe 2 million. Like I'm not sure what the sort of the disparity in that figure is. So it's interesting. It's worth having a look at um, how much sort of weight and owners or sponsorships put on those. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, something that absolutely is relevant is the numbers, Chris. So if you want, if you want TikTok and Snapchat numbers, we can't give you that. But the numbers we can give you, the financials. Uh, and what you'll see here is actually quite interesting. Manchester United, Golf, Liverpool. Uh, as you can see in the graph, it has come a lot closer. So the red bar is Manchester United, the black being Liverpool. And what you can actually see here, uh, Tom, and, and to those in the comments, is uh, that gap is – this is over the last five years. So we're looking at uh, – and mind you, this is in seasons. So when we say 2017, it's, seven, uh, it's 16, 17, 17, 18, et cetera. Uh, but if you see there, United's revenue has shrunk. Um, from 2017 to now, I think an aspect of that is COVID. And another aspect of that uh, would also be the Chevrolet deal uh, is worth less in value than the Team Viewer deal. Uh, and also COVID, um, which you can definitely see in the 2020 uh, and 2021 revenue results. Uh, but Tom, you can, what we should and what is worth making note of, Liverpool have made uh, substantial ground, it has to be said, over the last three years, but United's still well ahead. 
Look, we're well ahead and sort of maybe we'll dissect these in a little bit more detail in a sec. However, I'd say that, look, and look, we haven't been sort of 17, 18, 19 weren't filled with success for Manchester United. Of course they weren't but in terms of off the back of our previous success in the 10 years before that. But what it does show in terms of Liverpool closing that gap, I think that shows where the difference in football on the pitch has been in terms of, okay, Liverpool should be ahead in regards to one pitch, but in regards to making up that difference, it's shown the trajectory Liverpool on the field have been on and where Man United sort of unfortunately have gone in sort of the other direction. So that's the biggest telling point for me. Now, there are reasons for that in terms of that, forget the on-pitch stuff, you look at the financials, you do look at, ultimately, I do have a bit of, not a soft spot for the Manchester United, but we did reach the pinnacle and we reached the peak of sort of the commercialisation of football and we got to the top, well, people are going to catch up. There was no, there's potential an argument for us to go no further. Like I remember back in year 2000, the football world lost its mind. Manchester United introduced ringtones on the old Vodafone, old Nokia phone. We introduced ringtones. We were always ahead of the game. And I think in that 14, 15, 16 period, Manchester United were ahead of the game and got to the top. And now clubs like Liverpool, clubs like Manchester City, PSG, Bayern Munich have all seen the recipe to go and succeed in the commercial market. And they're sort of yeah, taking a leaf out of United's book and sort of reaping the rewards. Now Man United need to evolve. Man United need to get back to sort of how they sort of got on the front foot, how they do that. Fingers crossed new owners know the answer to that. When you look at these numbers, uh, what do you think the reason has been for United being so far in front? I mean, Liverpool have grown, but United, despite a lack of success over the last five years, for sure, but particularly over the last 10 years, still maintain a higher revenue, still maintain arguably a, a stronger brand. Do you put that all down to United's previous success? Or if not, then what do you put United's greater revenue ability down to? Look, it's in regards to the topic of the show. Who's who's the bigger club, Manchester United or Liverpool? And it's unfortunately in terms of we are having a discussion about it, but there is no question. Manchester United is a far bigger football club than Liverpool. And that's no disrespect to Liverpool. It's just the fact of the matter. And you do look at it and those numbers are crazy in terms of, okay, they look like maybe one or two notches on the graph. But you're talking 100 million in between those lines. And that is a lot of money each sort of time. And I'm just thinking Manchester United are a far bigger club than Liverpool. And is that down to the success in the 90s and the early 2000s? Is that down to the commercial aspect of it in that time as well? I think it's probably a little bit of both. And I think it comes back to the point I also make in regards to you look at sort of clubs around the world in uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Unfortunately, now you look at Chelsea, Manchester City, clubs like Arsenal. I think we just say Liverpool are the biggest club in the world, or sorry, second biggest club in England behind Manchester United. But I do look at the grounds so that other clubs have made, whether it be at Chelsea, Manchester City, and they are catching up. And it sort of like, I think, sort of spreads the sort of wealth around the clubs in regards to it used to just be Manchester United, but now you have Man United sort of pulling all the deals. Well, if, if someone doesn't want to go to Man United, they'll go to Manchester City. If not, they'll go to Chelsea. And it sort of spreads it around quite um, sort of evenly, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a valid point. Uh, have you seen Manchester City now have higher revenue than Manchester United? I don't know if how legitimate that is, with all due respect, but... Uh... Look, well, that'll, be, that'll be interesting if we do get sort of how do you want to define it, state ownership or Dubai ownership or anything like that. That'll be interesting in terms of how critical we've been in regards to sponsorship deals they've illegally done, like, or not illegally done, but in terms of the way they bend the books. Um, there's no hiding from that in regards to what the way they get around FFP. That'll be Manchester United. And will we, we're complaining when PSG and Manchester City do it. We question and rightly question these numbers. If that is a Manchester United thing, are we going to question? Obviously not, but it does sort of throw a little bit of a... Um, hypocrisy debate into it. Absolutely. 
but as you can see, United still trump Liverpool in that commercial aspect. I think everything you've touched on is correct. And if, if I actually think about why United are so big, uh, I think what, what they were ahead of, in, in, and, and this goes for world football, let alone English football, United saw the ability to to basically commercialize their brand. They, they saw an opportunity to use that brand as leverage and uh, basically leverage them in, in the commercial market. I mean, um, if I think of Asia particularly, I think United were the first fo football club I can think of that broke into the Far East, really made their presence there known, uh, did tours ahead of time. I can't think of a... Uh, when was the first time United did a, a tour of Asia? Was it in 2013 uh, when they came to Sydney? They, they oh, no, 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 no. We've done plenty over the part, and I've done many before then. Um, what I don't know, like, in terms of official pre-season tours, but sort of they've been there well, before. Yeah. I don't know how you define a tour in regards to, yes, those designated pre-season pre tours or, or trips. It's hard. I'm sure someone in the um, chat would know. But what I will tell you in terms of throw it back to you in terms of a potential reason and where you throw this in direction of the Asian market, I'm not sure, but just in general, and you, we can go back in time, but name some Liverpool legends, like big Liverpool legends. Name some for me. Steven Gerrard, Robbie Fowler, uh, Kenny Dalglish, and I'm running out of names. Okay, no, 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 but you're naming very good footballers, very successful footballers, good Liverpool legends. Now, I'm going to throw some names, Manchester United names, in terms of star power, George Best. David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ryan Giggs in his heyday, Eric Cantona, the star power Manchester United have had. You look at Liverpool's legends, okay, we're going to throw a bit of shade at them, but just let, let's give them the respect they deserve. Steven Gerrard, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler. There's nothing to them. Great footballers, but there's no that, there's not that star power in regards to a global appeal. When you compare a George Best, a David Beckham, a Cristiano Ronaldo, they are, they are global superstars regardless of the football. And I think that definitely does play a part. It's a very valid point. Uh, and the other thing is, and something that isn't necessarily a topic of this video, but Manchester being from a, a music and art city, I also think that there's an advantage there. Uh, if you think of, I mean, David Beckham's a perfect point in that. Uh, he was a renowned superstar for dating a Spice Girl, granted. But even you said before that, George Best. George Best was probably the first... Is it fair to say he was the first superstar to come out of football? No. I think yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm sure there's someone who could say no. It's this person, but yeah, in regards to the way I view celebrity, and in terms of sort of coming through in that well, 60s uh, time Cruyff as well, was a, a superstar in his own right. But George Best was before that, and uh, you know, in terms of being so commercial, so globally renowned. You know, I, I see George Best is almost like like David Beckham, like Ronaldo, the trans yeah. transcendent sport a little bit. He was a good footballer, obviously a great footballer. But his celebrity was outside of football as well. But you mentioned those Liverpool names, great legends in Liverpool, in football. But the Manchester United legends, we've had some of them have been, look at Cristiano Ronaldo, for God's sake, the most followed person on Instagram. Like, that, that it's a different level of celebrity. Yeah, it's a very valid point. Um, but we will bring it back to the locals of Manchester and Liverpool. And we will talk about the stadium aspect. Uh, when we talk about revenue, an important component of that has to be the amount of bodies you can put into the stadium. Uh, as you can see here, if you're looking at Anfield's figures, um, current capacity, 61,000. Uh, well, sorry, it will be 61,000 by the end of the year. Uh, and then th when they're currently going through that construction, uh, their last upgrade was in 2014, 2016. And a key point that is raised on this graphic, 67 trophies 
for Anfield. Um, but that, that again, that goes without saying. And respectable numbers. Um, Liverpool are a big side. But now let's look at Manchester United. Capacity, 74,310. You're talking over 10,000 uh, in advantage there. Uh, 66 trophies, one behind Liverpool. That was recently overtaken um, with the latest uh, latest uh, Premier League trophy. Uh, and the last upgrade, crucially, 2006. Uh, Tom, if you're a potential buyer, you look at the two stadium numbers, uh, which one would appeal to you being neutral and why isn't Manchester United? Well, it's hard in terms of, look, I'm not a billionaire, so I don't have the financial sort of hindsight and insight that someone like those people would have in regards to what they would find appealing. I look at that in regards to someone wanting to be successful at a football club and they walk in and see Liverpool doesn't need or Anfield doesn't need any work on it. Well, there's a billion I can invest elsewhere. The Manchester United owner is going to come in and have to spend a billion just on the ground for God's sake. And I'm thinking there's a billion away from potential investment in the infrastructure of the club and players and everything as well. So in terms of immediate success, an owner would walk in and say Liverpool's a far better project in regards to the stadium aspect. Okay, that's done. I don't need to worry about that. Where Old Trafford, unfortunately, for the new Manchester United owner, it's it's the priority. Right? In terms of before we start looking at players and football, we need to fix our stadium. Like, it's leaking, for God's sake. And like That sort of sounds a little bit funny and a little bit like a joke. No, like parts of the stadium are falling down. Like, and just from a safety point of view, so that needs to be addressed. And if that, unfortunately, is going to take around a billion pounds, you do look at what stadiums cost these days. They're popping up here in Australia every couple of weeks. We've just seen what they've done in Qatar. They are not cheap. And it does need to be done because you talk about that 2006. Obviously, both listen to Stephen House, and he made the very valid point where those were the quadrants that were put in in the, in the two top corners of the Australia's Ferguson stand. And, okay, 2006, the Glazers came in in 2005. However... Those are obviously done before the Glazers came in. So since the Glazers have walked through the door in 2005, they have not touched this stadium. Yes, they moved the um, disabled section over the last couple of years, and unfortunately even that decreased the capacity. Our capacity used to be over 76,000. Now that sort of new disabled section has knocked that capacity down to 74,000. And I'm just thinking for the Glazers not to have touched the training ground or Old Trafford itself for their ownership, like, it's crazy. Like, you think what stadiums have done over the last 20 years in terms of the, the way they've moved forward and sort of they look like bloody spaceships now. And, look, there is a charm to Old Trafford, and I, I do hope we keep that history and tradition in regards to the stadium and that feel. It does need to keep that tradition. But you could, you can keep that tradition while moving forward and keeping with the times and sort of it, it's just sad. I, I can't get over that, that they haven't touched the stadium during their ownership. They came in in 2005, for God's sake, and that is... Sadly, like there's so many things that sum up the Glazers' time at United. Of course there is. You can point in every single direction. But in terms of, like, it does feel like here we are on the other side of the world. We're sitting in our homes, for God's sake. But Old Trafford does feel like home to us. And for them to not put a coat of paint on it in 20 years, it's, look, I, I know. I think, a paint on. I think that was done maybe two months ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that's the issue, right? I mean, you make some really valid points there. But the main can, the main point is, Rather than papering over the cracks, they're painting over them. Uh, and, and that fundamentally is the issue. No investment in modern stadiums. And not, not just that. I mean, there's upkeep, which they haven't done. But not just – if you look at how technology has come further along. I mean, I, I did a video last week around why I think Apple could really benefit from buying Manchester United. And one of those main talking points was innovation. If you walk through the Spurs stadium, it's so modern. The ability to utilize technology now and, and, and science and to offer a world-class product, to walk into that stadium and 
offer an experience that no other football club has the ability to offer is something Manchester United should absolutely be looking to do. And they're just, it's not even on the radar. And uh, maybe that, but and look, uh, we're sitting here and the Pope title of this video is why Manchester United are worth more than Liverpool. And I think we've just spent a solid 10 minutes shitting on the football club. So then let me put this back to you. If you're a prospective owner, tell me why Manchester United is more valuable in spite of a stadium that probably would need close to $1 billion to rebuild. Tell me why, pretend you're a salesman. Why am I buying Manchester United over Liverpool? It's going to cost more. I need to put more investment into the squad. I need to put more investment into the stadium. Tell me why. Look, I'm far from a salesman, but I look at the fact that we've just pointed out in terms of all these flaws with Manchester United and sort of pros with Liverpool, we're still the bigger club in terms of, look, I hate using it as a, as a positive, but we're the bigger club in regards to social media. I hate using that, but it's a fact. Bigger club financially, you just sort of rattled off those stats for the five or six years. Now, Liverpool are obviously catching us up a little bit, but ultimately through their most successful period, we and our most sort of depressing period as Manchester United fans, we have remained above them. Now, yes, it's going to come at a huge expense straight away for a new owner in regards to fixing those problems. But if we are above them in all these areas with all our problems, if the owner can fix those, could you imagine how that, that sort of gap would increase? Well, yes, it's got to come at an immediate cost. But if the Manchester United owner can get it right, I'm thinking, I don't know what the statistics would be or how you determine or how you define um, that type of growth. But if we're, say, 20% bigger than Liverpool at the moment, if we do get the things right off the field and get a proper stadium and get the right sort of football infrastructure put in place, I think in the next five, 10 years, you go, you just skyrocket. You'd be 50% bigger than Liverpool. And I don't know what the club valuation is that there's crazy numbers thrown out there in regards to what American investment companies or what Dubai would pay. But a lot of people are potentially saying, let's say around anywhere from six to 10 billion, let's say 8 billion pound. Thinking if Manchester United did get this right, you could say in 10, 15, 20 years time, Eight billion pound, who knows? We go fifteen, twenty billion pound, and I'm just thinking that is if things do go right. I don't see how Manchester United don't skyrocket even further past clubs like Liverpool. That, that's a really strong point, and and that's the point I was going to make. United have succeeded Liverpool in just about every metric other than on the pitch, despite the Glazers' ownership, despite not being successful. I mentioned earlier that Cristiano Ronaldo's tweet announcing his return to Old Trafford was the most interacted tweet uh, in Twitter's history. Imagine the 21st trophy triumph. What yeah. sort of interaction that would have. United fans have been waiting 10 years for this. You know what I mean? And I just, if you, if you think of that, if you're a potential sponsor, don't tell me you don't want to be associated with that. You know what I mean? I just, I, the, the potential for United is still so much higher. And, and, and ultimately, that, that's where it sits. If you look at the mere attraction, the interaction. Th that, that interaction, that, that was my next point. The interaction point you make there in regards to, we just weighed up all those numbers in regards to social media. Okay, this club's got this many followers. That club has that many followers. But to find, sort of strip that back, what's a follower and what's a supporter? Because you talk about interaction and sort of pairs of eyes, sponsorships and commercial partners will want um, in terms of their brand, in terms of social media. I'm just thinking, do you think a huge part of Manchester United and why those numbers maybe are so high and that, that Cristiano Ronaldo tweet, etc., is because of another, other clubs' relationship towards Manchester United? Because we talk about interactions. You use the hashtag MUFC. Every other fan base is talking about Man United. Okay, we're not talking about... Stockport, or we're not talking about Sheffield United or Aston Villa, but all those fans are talking about Manchester United as well. So do you think in terms of, let's say, 
do you want to define hatred other clubs dislike and hatred towards Manchester United is actually a good thing in terms of that interaction and how sort of clubs and sort of commercial partners value social media interactions. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And uh, I also think, like you say, because United were United were successful at a point where technology went like this. And I think that's ultimately why, I mean, yes, there, there was the commercial aspect as well, uh, the, the identifying the ability to use your brand and leverage that onto other people's products and then gain sponsorship revenue um, as a result of that. But the other aspect of that is United were fortunate to be successful at a time where we saw VCR go to DVD, go to online streaming. By the time United won their last Premier League trophy, streaming was coming to light. Netflix was available as a streaming service. You're starting to see the rise of technology. Uh, so Facebook was well and truly embedded. Rio Ferdinand had infamously made a Twitter account, which Sir Alex Ferguson criticized him for. And I, th and I think that because they were successful right at the peak of those uh, social media platforms powers or at least at least their introduction into the broader world uh, united have been able to leverage that so back on what we're, we're both saying if united managed to get it right the foundation is there they can leave or they can leave liverpool for dead and, I, and i'd go as far as to say real madrid have the biggest social media following in terms of football clubs in the world i think united could get on par with Real Madrid if they manage to get a sustained level of success. I, I really do. And not, not just about Liverpool, Manchester City. If United are successful, it kills everything that Manchester City have worked so hard to build. Everything that City are doing is about building the fan base for 20, 30, 40 years' time. If United manage to get successful, ambitious, wealthy owners in, they might undo everything that Manchester City has done. I think you talk about all the sort of the things uh, other clubs and other clubs' owners have done positively for their clubs over the last 10 years and how the Glazers have done everything wrong at Old Trafford. But as you talk about in terms of where we have sort of remained in regards to the club stature and the club size, both financially or especially financially, I should say, and all those social media numbers, it's amazing what, what could have been like in terms of you talk about star power and sort of what that brings to a club in terms of the online aspect but also on the pitch. I'm just saying, I've made this point before, and tell me, I don't know if I've discussed it with you, but tell me if this is over, sort of an over-exaggeration or I'm talking out my ass. but if Manchester United and the Glazers did the right thing over the last 10 years, now, yes, there are other clubs that play, might want to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona. Obviously, there are other big clubs, and you're not going to get every player you want, but I really stand by the point, if Manchester United were run properly and there was proper investment with owners who just wanted to win football matches and win trophies, our front three over the last 10 years should have been Neymar on the left, Ronaldo through the middle, and Messi on the right. Now, yes, Messi might not have left Barcelona, and Neymar might have wanted to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona. But in terms of what we could have put on the pitch in regards to we were that far ahead of every other club financially and we've been held back. If we had that investment on top of what we already had, our front three really should have been, in my opinion, in terms of quality, should have been Neymar, Ronaldo, and Messi. I'm just thinking, unfortunately, you do look at the names rattled off we have had in our team. Um, it's disappointing of what could have been. I think that's a bit giddy, but what I will say is when Ronaldo left, look at what we replaced him with. I think if that that's probably where the mistake starts, right? If you're a big brand, and I, I completely, I, I'm probably on the halfway sitting on the fence where people say, I don't like the Galactico signing, just get the best fit for the football team. You don't, you don't become the commercial club or get be able to generate the kind of revenue that United do 
if there isn't a commercial element there. Now, yes, of course, some of that has been self-grown. Like we, when we bought Ronaldo, he wasn't this global mega superstar, but he eventually became that and you saw the potential for him to become that. I would say if Ronaldo left and we signed, who was a massive player at the time, let's say we signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He went to Barcelona at the time. Imagine we signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic when Ronaldo left. You're replacing a like-for-like, like, a big name, someone who's got the ego and the personality to wear a Manchester United shirt. Instead, we signed Antonio Valencia, who, with all due respect, was a very loyal and served United well, but it wasn't a like-for-like like replacement in terms of the caliber of player. And we saw that lack of ambition over the years really ripple through the United squad um, and, and fundamentally the football club, which lands us doing this video in 2022. Tom, I want to ask you about the, the squads, and that's probably the final and most crucial point here. The average age of the Manchester United team is 26.3. The age has been brought down with the, with the likes of Anthony, Lissandro Martinez, and Tarel Malassia, the eldest of them, of those three being 25 years of age. Uh, Liverpool squad, a bit older, average age, uh, close to 28, around 27.9 years of age. It's an aging squad. If you look at it in terms of the football pitches, you look at the squads on paper now, can you tell me which squad do you think is stronger today? And if you were a potential owner, which squad do you think actually needs more investment? Look, it's a hard one. I think if we look at those two same squads at the start of the season, before a ball is kicked, we're saying Manchester United needs a lot more work done and leads, leads a lot more investment. Fast forward into December and Liverpool season and Manchester United season, suddenly we can pick a lot more holes in the Liverpool squad and say that needs a lot more investment. So it's hard in regards to that in terms of very easy in hindsight. Obviously, we've just lost a big personality and big in terms of a financial hit or a good financial hit in regards to getting off our books. But Ronaldo, I'm not sure if that's potentially skilled that um, potential age because obviously he would have brought it up for Manchester United. So I'm not sure um, if it even goes even lower um, if Cristiano Ronaldo... Um, or since he has left. But in regards to a new owner coming in, I wouldn't think... Look, in investment, I don't think, okay, we've talked about the stadium and the financial side of things, but in regards to an owner, if he was making a decision based on the squad and what squad I need to come in and sort of fix the most or give the biggest overhaul to, I don't think that would be a deciding factor in regards to a new owner. But if I had to pick, I would look at it in regards to Mohamed Salah is Liverpool star. He's obviously, when a new owner comes in, in five years' time, Mohamed Salah is not going to be there. Who's our star in five years' time? Potentially an Anthony or a player like that. In terms of, I think Manchester United is potentially a little bit better suited in regards to, obviously, you mentioned the age is naturally lower. So maybe from an owner's point of view, that does look a little bit better. But in terms of where our success or lack of success has been over the years, you could argue that we do need the more investment because we do like a player like, a, as let's say, Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial or Scott McTominay or Diogo Delo. Ultimately, those players haven't provided the success. So, okay, we like them at the moment, but is an owner looking, well, you haven't done anything for us in regards to trophies, I'm going to replace you. If I look at the United squad now, I think there's a, a need, as much as I love Martial, I think there's a need for a striker. I think there's a, a need for another right winger because I, I feel like when Anthony doesn't play there, that there's nothing else to come in. Pro, another number eight, because as much as I like Ericsson, you know, he's 30 years of age. And when he, again, when he's not in the squad, the drop-off is massive uh, and, and right back. And I think if you, but if you manage to fill those positions, I think this is a side that you could argue could challenge. I really do. I, I don't think we're that far off anymore. And I did mention four positions. Now, when you look at the market, 
how much are those four positions going to cost you on paper? It's probably going to require another two to 300 million pounds. But I think that Liverpool side is really old. Uh, Van Dyke isn't anything like the player we've seen over the last few years. I think he's improved before the break, but, you know, he doesn't look quite as sharp as he was. Well, I wouldn't say old. And look, you mentioned they are an older squad in regards to the average age. And yes, you can sort of point out one or two. Is that an inconsistent season? Yeah, yeah, but but I look at that and I go back to maybe Manchester United. Now it was weird because we won three trophy or three Premier League trophies off the bounce. But at the turn of the century, those two thousand one, two thousand two sort of seasons, in terms of yes, we were successful winning Premier Leagues at ease. But ultimately, there was a drop off from ninety eight, ninety nine in that treble winning season. Roy Keane was obviously very critical in the press in terms of talking about players that are maybe lacking that hunger and motivation in terms of they achieved it all. And now there was nothing really to achieve more in the game, so that hunger was gone. And I do look at Liverpool, and I wouldn't say maybe someone can point and say it is it sort of is an age thing, and they are too old. But I'm looking more so from the fact of what I see on the pitch in regards to body language and their attitude. And I think it's more of a case in Liverpool where they've won it all. Unfortunately, that is the case. They've won the Premier League, they won the FA Cup, they won the League Cup, they won the World Cup Champions League, whatever. Unfortunately, the last couple of years they've won everything. Trent Alexander. Yeah, they did last season. Sorry. Unfortunately, they've done it all, and I do look at players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's walking around, unfortunately, like he's won it all. Unfortunately, but he has. But in terms of there is nothing more for them to do, and I just think there is an attitude problem where Roy Keane pointed this out 20 years ago in regards to Manchester United's team. And it's not really a criticism, it's just what it is. It just happens to people. And I just think that is more the issue with the Liverpool squad in terms of it needs a fresh overhaul in regards to... And, and look, not unfortunately, but Jurgen Klopp's been there for ages, ages now. I'm not saying sack Jurgen Klopp, but the same voice for seven years that gets tiring. You, you, you need a change. You need to sort of freshen up things, whether that be players or management. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it's not so much an age thing for Liverpool. I think it's a, a combination of a few things. Well, well, it's one or the other. If if you look at United's side from 99, treble winning side, and then you look at the side that played in 2004, how many of the 99 players were left? Solskjaer, Keane was there in 04. Ryan Giggs, Skulls, Brown. Gary Neville. Talking about six players out of a squad of nearly 30. And that's from 99 to 2004. That's five years. Fergie, I mean, what you're saying is right. And I think, you know, this is, you know, I want to keep it on topic. But when, when we talk about managers being successful, if you look at the Liverpool side that's there now, 20, when did Klopp come in? 2014, 2015? If you look at the nucleus of that squad, a lot of it has been there for a, a, at least five years. Van Dijk, Mo Salah, Jordan Henderson. Uh, so, you know, I think I think Klopp's still a really good manager. I think we need to reevaluate what the cycle, whether that be through a manager or a player. We always look back at Stralix Ferguson. We want 26 years of dominance. And that's what we want. We know that's not possible, but we want a long-term manager. When Solskjaer came in, okay, he's going to be the manager for 10 years. Eric Ten Hag's going to be the manager for 10 years. Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp have quietly sort of unfortunately skewed this stat in regards to they have stayed for far longer than what was expected. But if you do look at successful managers, whether that be Real Madrid or Chelsea, the lifespan of a manager now is around three years in terms of they can win two or three trophies in that time and still get the sack. But ultimately that has proven quite successful for clubs like Real Madrid and Chelsea. Now, I like to look at the route that Manchester City and Liverpool have taken in regards to patience with manager and sticking by them. Now, they have been afforded the opportunity to stick with them because they've been proven successful. If Eric Ten Hag goes four or five years without winning a trophy, I would like to potentially keep with him. It's not all about the trophies for me. I think there are a few sort of things you do need to look at, but ultimately he's going to get the sack if that's the case because you do need those trophies to afford yourself that time. 
But in terms of a lifespan of a player or a squad or a manager, they're not what we think they are. What we look at Ryan Giggs and have your whole career at Manchester United. Not many people do that now. And I think we do need to look at the best players in the world, whether it be a Neymar, okay, he goes here for three years, goes here for five years. Erlen Haaland might be in Real Madrid in two or three years' time and still be the best player in the world and won everything at both clubs. I think we need to... I like to sort of look back and sort of be traditional in terms of sort of have that player loyalty and sort of build squads and dominance for decades. But if I do look at what is potentially the recipe for success um, in the modern game, it might be short-term for both players and manager. Yeah, yeah, that, that look, that's true. But call me a cynic. I, I would rather I would rather hope in the idea that a manager can yeah. be somewhere for ten years, and I will never stop believing that. I really don't. I look at ten hard. That, that, that should be the goal. That should be the goal. Yeah, always. It, it, it always should be. And like even for Liverpool, to be honest, I mean, I hope Jurgen Klopp manages to stay there longer. Pep Guardiola at City. The, the, this is how rivalries are built. When I think of peak Manchester United. I think of Arsene Wenger versus Manche- Arsene Wenger versus Sir Alex. And like, I don't know about you, Tom, it'd probably be the same for you. The most, the most vivid memory in my, in my mind is Arsenal versus Manchester United in the 2000s. Yeah, it's a big one. I was going to, I was going to bring it up earlier in regards to when I say uh, we just say Liverpool are the second biggest club, and maybe there are funny and sort of numbers that do back that up. But I do look at it, and I think this is something we say. I do look at Arsenal. Okay, Arsenal have won more. Look at how successful Liverpool have been in the last five years. Fact is, they've won one Premier League title in 30 years. That's the fact. Okay, that sounds a bit sort of different. They won the Champions League. And- yeah, yeah no, no, of course. But uh, Chelsea have won too. So I'm looking at look at what Chelsea have won more Premier Leagues. They've won more Champions Leagues. Arsenal have won more trophies in that time probably. And I'm just thinking, is there a case? Now, maybe numbers sort of disprove me, and I'm not disrespecting Liverpool. I do class them as the second biggest club in the country. But is there a case where we look and think, well, do we just say that? Could we look at Arsenal in terms of their numbers, their social media interactions, them being in London? We look at Chelsea's success and their improvement. We look at what Manchester City are doing. And just think, is there a case that those clubs are actually potentially a bit bigger? I'll tell you what, I, I do agree with you there. I think if Arsenal managed to get a sustained level of success, I think they could overtake Liverpool as the second biggest club in England. I, I really do. And that, that's not me being salty, genuinely. Uh, it's, oh, it's, I, th- I think they're there. I think they're there. Well, we throw a lot of shit towards Arsenal, and rightly so. But I do think maybe a little bit more success, obviously. But um, I do think they're there, and maybe unfortunately that is a little bit skewed by in regards to the online interaction, the way we sort of the way we view football and the view football content at the moment is so heavily through social media and YouTube and Twitter. And Arsenal have such a heavy presence there. Maybe that sort of impacts my thinking. And Liverpool is a very sort of close-knit shop. Like, no one really talks about Liverpool. It's just Liverpool fans. They don't want to sort of interact with anyone else. It's, it's just them. It's Scouse, not English, that sort of thing. And um, sort of you're more exposed to Chelsea fans, um, Barcelona fans, Real Madrid fans, Arsenal fans, Man United fans. And I'm thinking that is maybe where I'm looking at Liverpool aren't probably as big as what they say they are. Yeah, that, that's a really valid point. Uh, but on, on, So, Tom, to wrap up the video now, uh, give me. Uh, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Tell me in 60 seconds why Manchester United are worth more than Liverpool FC. Well, I think the market dictates that in terms of the asking price. It does look like Manchester United are going to go for more, so that is why Manchester United is more valuable. But I do look at it from a new owner's point of view and just say what Manchester United was in terms of, look, I still class this as the biggest club in the world, but we definitely were the biggest club in the world. Unfortunately, that has sort of decreased a little bit, but I look at where we currently sit in terms of we're sitting on a huge mess at the moment, but we sit in that mess still at the top of the pile. And I'm just thinking if someone can get come in and do this thing right, 
and sort of invest properly and the football club turns around and starts winning things, people talk about the sky's the limit. It goes beyond that in terms of what Manchester United could be in this in this modern world in regards to leading the race on the pitch and off the pitch. There is no comparison. I know people talk about Real Madrid being the biggest club in the world. and Okay, maybe they are. I don't see it. No one... You go, you go to anyone in the world who doesn't support football, name a football team. It's Manchester United. They're not, they're not saying Real Madrid or Barcelona. You ask someone, go on the street, name a famous football team. It's Manchester United every day of the week. And I'm just thinking, if Manchester United got this right, um, we do look at what powerhouses of Manchester City and PSG have done over the last 10 years, Man United will double that. Man United will sort of become the biggest club overnight in regards to where we can, and forget social media numbers or YouTube subscribers, where we want to see that is on the pitch. And um, we are close. Unfortunately, we're too far away, but we are quite close. But if we get it right and start winning trophies, um, it will be back to the glory days. You did exceed 60 seconds, but strong points nonetheless. I will just add to that, and I will say United have trumped Liverpool in revenue over the last five years, despite being, quote-unquote, unsuccessful, quote-unquote, history giants, quote-unquote, living in the on the History Channel. So I will finish this video by saying this. If we can be that shit and still be on the tip of everyone's tongue, still be the most talked about football club in the world, if you can come in, invest in that club, make it right, and it's already successful, imagine, just imagine the lengths in which you can take that success. If you buy that club for billions in a consortium, you will see a return on that money over 10 years. I guarantee it. And if you're going to invest that kind of money, you have to be in it for the long haul to see any sort of return. And I'll even, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll even go as far to say as if you're an owner who wants to take dividends out of the club, no one will be crit too critical of you if the club is successful. Don't put debt on the club. First and foremost, if you're the owner, don't put debt on the club. Invest in the club. Make Manchester United the beast that it's meant to be. And if you do that, everyone else will clap and applaud while you do whatever else it is. I'll just leave that there. But, uh, Tom, thank you for joining me, mate, on what's been a different video. I've quite enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for anyone who's tuned in. Make sure you hit a big like on the video. Uh, it means more people can enjoy the video like you hopefully have. And uh, if you are new, make sure you do subscribe. But, uh, Tom, what do we talk about next? What videos would be coming up for the rest of the week. You tell me. Well, well look, I, I do want to sort of get back on this World Cup train because I look with the whole debate around the World Cup being at this time of year, that's another one. But in regards to the football, I am enjoying now some of the football games have been a little bit pragmatic, but I am enjoying the World Cup. But in regards to potential videos in Manchester United, in terms of I'm sure we'll do sort of things the new owner should do, like a five things the new owner should do when he walks through the door at Old Trafford. You know, I'm just thinking I'll throw this as a serious question to you and you can answer it in a serious way or something maybe a little bit superficial in regards to still needs doing, but maybe not as sort of high on the priority list. But a new owner comes in, what's the first thing you want to see done? Because I was having to think of what I the first thing I want a new owner to do at Manchester United, and it's maybe not as sort of serious or as important as some people would place it. But in my opinion, potentially, it is. So I'll throw it to you first. What's the first thing a new owner comes in you want to see them do? First thing I want to see them do, I want to see them release a statement to the fans. <clears throat> the first time we heard from the Glazers was last week. Sorry, let me correct that. The first time we heard from the Glazers was after the Super League debacle. Super League. Yeah. And that is unacceptable. The first thing I want to see the new owner slash owners do is come out with a, ideally, I'd like a press conference. If press conference isn't feasible, 
then I want to see a statement. I want to see pictures of all the owners. I want to know exactly what they're doing. And I want to hear a five-year project plan. For me, it's a five, for me, the first thing is a five-minute plan. Change the badge. Put football club back on it. I know that sounds super and that's not important. Who cares? But I think something like that for me is important. I'm just saying that that is something I want to see. But I understand moving Manchester United. I don't you think don't... that that can happen anymore, Tom. I mean, the things we talk about when we talk clubs about are, United... Clubs are changing badges every week. Yeah, but, I mean, when we talk about United being leveraged as a brand, having Manchester United Football Club, it kind of limits the ability to do that. If we enjoy the finances that United have been able to give in terms of the club's success, then we have to accept that some some of these things are give and take. But, but, what, but we got to that top of the top of that tree with football club in it back. We we did, day. but if you look at United's revenue streams, it's really grown in the late two thousands to to now. So and, and that's come with the removal of football club from the badge, rightly or wrongly. I mean, it, let me ask you this: Does it really matter? If you yeah. look at Barcelona, Real Madrid, yes, uh, look, Bayern, I understand that. It's like the stadium. It, on the badge anymore. Yeah, no, it's like the stadium. Do you knock it down or build a new one? You, like, you don't want to see Old Trafford knocked down. Maybe it's what's needed, but you do need to keep that tradition, that history. It's just something I, I want to see them. And it's just, just sort of a bit of positive PR and give something back to the fans because, look, ticket prices aren't going to get cheaper when the new owners come in. Everything's going to get more expensive, unfortunately. We're going to spend more to support this club and maybe we'll be more happy to support the club in regards to our finances if they're doing the right thing. But in regards to give the fans something. Like, like what, what can owners really give fans these days? Like, they can't give as much. Like, and I'm just saying that is something they potentially give us. And, yes, it's a little bit superficial. It's not important. It's not as important as the training ground or a new striker who's going to bang in 30 goals a season. I understand that. But um, I've gone beyond that. And just, um, yeah, I need a little bit of tradition back in my life. The biggest thing that they can do, there are two things. I would be getting, if I'm a new owner and I'm buying Manchester United, you know what I'm doing? I'm calling David Beckham or Gary Neville, one of those two, and I'm getting them involved 100%. Get them to be your spokesperson. Are fans going to fall for that? Are we going to be cynical and I assume a state a state ownership model, a state ownership model. Let's say Dubai, they come in. I think they're going to use David Beckham. And look, I'll fall for it. I love David Beckham and I'll accept the money. But I'm just thinking, will we sort of have a bit of a cynical bow to it in terms of looking and think, well, hang on, why are they sort of sort of wearing a bit of a mask? Why are they putting a David Beckham, Gary Neville mask on? Like, what what's behind that? What are they trying to hide? Because all that is is deflecting. I, I think they actually need to be part of any consortium. I, I think that that's how you but, get... But would, would they be part of it or would they just be the face, like the mask? Well, 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 that's the thing. I, I actually think they need to be... That's the only thing that's going to get buy-in from the fans. If you're a potential owner, if you can get one of those Class of 92 boys in as, as part of the consortium or part of the ownership, I think you yeah. get buy-in right. The thing is that the, the relationship with the local fan base has soured so, so badly. And I think they really need to rebuild their love and their relationship with the local fans. The global fan will always be there, to be honest. I mean, we are catered to more than the local fans are. Uh, and I think they, they could achieve a lot by doing that. But uh, we will leave the video there. Uh, if you are a fan of the World Cup, which I hope you are, make sure you do hit that subscribe button. Lots of content coming your way. We've got the Friday Night Pint, which is a Friday night ritual here on the United Podcast. But, Tom... England a play day. in a few hours. Time England going through. Are they going to go home early? Uh, I think it's very unlikely. I mean, Wales would need to win, which I don't see happening, to be honest. Oh yeah, no. Look, England will go through, but there is a possibility. I think that's what's thrown this match a three up so sort of 
sort of intriguingly in regards to only Qatar and Canada are out. Like even teams who are top of the group now, like there's potential few teams who can still go from first to fourth in the group. And obviously that's very unlikely in the case of England and you do want to see them go through. But um, who knows, anything can happen in football. I'll tell you what, if England lose 5-3 and Rashford scores a hat-trick, I'll take it. But I'm starting to get to that point. We made this point in terms of what, what do you want out of the World Cup in regards to Manchester United players. Get them all knocked out early so they can get back. And I always fell on the side of things. Well, no, I sort of value them as people. I want to see them enjoy themselves and go on and have a successful World Cup. Now that I've seen one or two players do quite well for Man United, I think, okay, I've got my Man United fix. You can get knocked out now. Come back to Carrington. I'm thinking, all right. As long as one of them wins it. As as long as someone brings the trophy home, I'm happy. Final point on the video. I I think it'll be one of Portugal or Brazil. Something about Bruno Fernandes this World Cup, I'm right behind it. There's a very strong look. Unfortunately, take Mbappe out of this discussion, which you probably can't because I think he is there. But other than Mbappe, maybe there are some maybe obscure names from other countries who are performing quite well. But Casemiro and Bruno Fernandes, two of the best performers this World Cup so far. Yep. Absolutely. And we will leave it there. Tom, pleasure as always, mate. Cheers to anyone who's tuning in and we'll catch you soon. Cheers. Cheers, mate.